Hello, hello, hello. This is Chris and Eric's Songbox Adventure. I'm Chris. And I am Eric. This is an even-numbered episode, which means it is your pick, so want to go ahead and introduce our topic for this week in the creator roll call? Uh, well, first of all, it is the first week of Spooktober, a five-week epic of terrifying comics that will shock and surprise you, except this one isn't scary at all, but, you know. Um, anyway, it's Doctor Who. We're doing Doctor Who this week. Um, the 13th Doctor comic by Titan Comics. Um, this is Year One, Volume Two. Um, it's the Hidden Human History arc. Anyway, yeah, so this is this is the second Doctor Who thing that I've ever made you experience. It's very current. Um, this isn't the current team of people in the TARDIS, but two of the people in this comic are still in the TARDIS. So this is this is about as current as you can get, especially on this podcast. Um, yeah, what did you think? Made Me Read is a bit too strong a choice of words because this wasn't bad. I will say right up out the gate that I didn't dislike this, which was a nice change of pace after the Bionicles last, I guess, two weeks ago in our Bionicle reading where it has yet to enter its trans era and instead is still in its characterless era. Oh, and then a month ago, since passed. <laughs> I've been picking nothing but eh for a while, so this is a nice change. It is a nice change. Um... Speaking of which, uh, this one's written by Jody Hauser, who's been writing a l- most of the Doctor Who comics lately for Titan, doing a doing a good job. Just want to shout that out. Roberta in Granada and Rachel Stott on art. Enrica Aaron Angiolini, 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 probably as colorist. Um, the color assistant is Viviana Spinelli. When the letterers are Comicrafts, Sarah Jacobs, and Josh, uh, and John Rochelle. Are you telling me Comicraft is more than just one or two people? <laughs> it's always the same names, but this time it's different. You're right. Like, it's one of those things where I've always not been sure if it's an actual company or if it's, like, one Someone's of those... name. Yeah, like the way that Owl City is just a dude, you know? <laughs> I have never thought about it. But apparently, we have at least two or three people who are Comicraft. So I guess Comicraft is actually a company. All right. Conveniently, this comic does come with a character summation page, or... Yeah, I guess that's what you'd call this, where it tells you who everyone is. Which is useful, because we have a crowded TARDIS this time. For context, the TARDIS is a blue box that goes anywhere in time and space... It belongs to the Doctor, it's alive, it's bigger on the inside, and it's what all the characters live in and go to places in. Um, there, that I think that's all you need to know if you've never seen Doctor Who before. Yeah, it's just sci-fi, space and time travel. Like you mentioned earlier, we've only done Doctor Who once before. That was... Um, the Grant Morrison, Brian Hitch, John Ridgway stuff from the 1980s. So we're moving forward quite a bit, but the basic premise, as far as I can tell, is still very much the same of Doctor and a few friends just run around, look at weird shit, and go, oh, huh, time is complicated. Yeah, they run into monsters, run away from the monsters, a science thing happens, story's over. 
Yeah, the like you said, this like opening page, besides just the sort of little previously of just basically saying what we just did of the doctors going on adventures, gives us little character bios for her and her companions. Oh yeah, the and, doctor's a woman now, if you didn't know. Yeah, this is the first female doctor is the era we're in. And I will say, once I got to the character bios for the other characters, it got me off to a bad start because I didn't know coming in that one of the doctor's friends would be a fucking cop. She is at this point in the show officially a former cop, but she is introduced as a cop. It literally does not come up aside from like one or two times. Like there's a couple things you think cops would be like useful for. Like in, in a Doctor Who story, there's almost always a murder and they almost always wind up having to like talk to people and investigate. And for some reason, the fact that she actually supposedly would have some actual training in doing that just doesn't come up. It's weird. She's a cop, but in a way in which there are, like, four scenes of her doing cop stuff, and that's it in what is now three seasons of television. And she's quit off-screen, heading into the third one. So Yaz is officially, I guess, she's quit being a cop to just be the Doctor's live-in friend with romantic tension. The pivot to a non-cop era is always a good career move. One might say it is literally the best possible career move is to simply choose not to be a cop. So I guess I'll take it. It it literally is accompanied with her also just like the, the, the decision to make her not a cop coincided with the decision to make this character fancy the doctor, which was not a thing that they had an idea of when they started writing it. And basically um, the characters just wound up vibing that way. It's very odd. There's a lot of stuff in the first two seasons where you're like, are they trying to set her and the Doctor up? But they weren't. It happened by accident. So that's fun. We so also... what you're telling me is that they're robbing all the lesbian cops out there out of their representation. <laughs> yes, because they made her not a cop and then, and then made her, at the very least, into women. Unspecified at this point. Um, Yaz into women, or is the Doctor at all confirmed any romantic anything? Um, the Doctor varies from incarnation to incarnation, but I would say is always either bisexual or asexual. I was gonna say I wouldn't have been surprised if it was that sort of thing if part of the Doctor's, like, I'm a detached weird traveler thing would be just, like, not being interested in romance. That was the case until the Eighth Doctor started kissing people, and I mean, the Doctor's introduced with a granddaughter, so you just like, well, I assume something happened that resulted in a granddaughter. So it's always been an element of the character, but the original, like, show had a no-hugging, no-kissing rule, where they weren't allowed to do that with any of the companions or characters in the show. And then knew who um, the Doctor, at least when the Doctor was played by a succession of hot guys, kissed a companion at least once a season. So the companions became Bond girls? No, because they actually got character development. Well, that's good. <laughs> um, like, the kisses happened regardless of whether or not there was romantic interest. They, it was just a thing that happened every season. Would it be like comedy? Like, oh, here's this weird thing, he doesn't quite get it, or... Um, normally it was, like, actual, um, 
Well, the the first he when he travels with when the tenth Doctor travels with Rose, they fall in love. When the tenth Doctor travels with Martha, she's into him, but he's not into her, and he's clueless about it. And he winds up kissing her at one point, and is still somehow clueless about it. When he travels with Donna, there's no romantic interest between them at all. But she has to surprise him at one point because he's been like poisoned, and it's gonna help him like be unpoisoned. So she kisses him. Question mark there on whether or not Donna was actually interested. Yeah, they stopped doing that with thirteen. She hasn't had any romantic subplots until um literally the last two episodes, where like Yaz is now having gay panic over the Doctor. Okay. <laughs> and the Doctor's like, oh, I I I can't because um humans age and die. Yeah, yeah, that is that is a reasonable reason to have a boundary. <laughs> to just be like, I'm just not going to deal with that. Can can you just keep traveling with me as my living gal pal? But anywho, um, long digression about cop romance aside, shall we get into the actual story? Yes, oh, uh, so it's, it's 13 and Yaz, and then we also have um, Ryan, who is the same age as Yaz, they're both 19. And Graham, who is Ryan's step-grandfather. There you go, that's, that's the TARDIS team. The TARDIS materializes because the little blue box appears and disappears to go places. It's Doctor Who, you're just going to have to roll with the Doctor Who thinks it from the here on. And everyone steps out, and they don't know where or when they are in history. The Doctor is able to taste that it's Earth, and... Um, from examining her finger that she looked is able to think out that it's the early 1500s in Europe. Is this a normal thing they can do? They just show up and like taste the air and be like, I know where I am. Yes. Just, I guess just extreme temporal receiver powers. I don't know. They do explicitly have like additional time senses, but then also frequently will just eat soil and know things. So, presumably other senses are also... Like, I guess the Doctor is, unless it's not plot-relevant, basically sort of daredevil in terms of senses, plus eyesight. Is there a YouTube compilation of all the weird-looking men who have played the Doctor just eating dirt? Probably. <laughs> is that a hyper-specific thing someone can find? Uh, the uh, Matt Smith did it the most, so that's, that's the one you want to look for. Um... What a distinction. I'm the doctor that ate the most fucking dirt. He's the dirt guy. <laughs> he was the quirkiest. He was like the one who was especially quirky. Until 13, who was a collection of a whole bunch of previous doctor's quirks. Ruled into one extremely quirky package. She even has suspenders, which is a very specific 11th doctor quirk that she just has again. I guess I know that we already went on a 10-minute aside about the cop friend. But real quick question. Is there any specific reasoning or history or reference behind the specific shirt the 13th Doctors are is wearing? You know, it's like, it's this band of colors. It's not like, it's not a rainbow in the order of them. But it's that sort of thing, just like on dark fabric. And I didn't know if there was literally any specific reason to this visual or not no the colors i think are intended to be a reference to the fourth doctor's scarf a lot of those are very similar but i'm not sure about it the outfit as a whole is largely pulled from a photo of an adrenaline 
Androgynous? Androgynously dressed woman from, like, the 1940s or something that Jodie Whittaker found while doing research for the role and liked and was like, let's pull for this for the costume. So, like, the pants that don't reach all the way and the jacket and stuff is from that. In the show, I think she normally tries to wear a burgundy variation of the shirt in the past and a blue variation in the present and future set stories, but that clearly doesn't apply to the comic because the colorist didn't get that memo and the shirt is indeed blue in the past. Okay, well, I guess the, like, androgynous, like, 40s photograph thing is at least kind of cool. Yeah, it's a fun reference. I think the look is really good. Like, it's very instantly iconic. It's very, like, casual, too. Like, I feel like that word could easily be taken as an insult with clothing. But, you know, it's it's not, like, fancy. It's also not particularly flamboyant. It's very, I go about on my space adventures, but I'm chilling. I don't know. I think it's pretty flamboyant when it's literally the only thing you wear. That's fair, <laughs> I guess. But, like, I don't know, it's not a super graphic tee, it's not... Well, I suppose the doctors don't generally actually dress all that weird, honestly, from what I've seen, anyway. Oh, no, they dress super weird. Well, I mean, like, I guess, like, the color palettes, like, I'm used to just seeing them in, like, gray and, like, brown coats and... We read a sixth Doctor comic. Oh, I guess it was in black and white. It was in black and white. You didn't see... Okay, you're Googling the Sixth Doctor right now, and you're looking at this outfit. <laughs> this is happening real-time, everyone. Ew. <laughs> Wannabe Willy Wonka-looking ass. That outfit is so bad, they actually changed it in some of the audio stories where you don't have to look at it anyway. They just had their narration saying, and he also was wearing less ugly clothes now. <laughs> Like a blue variation, because, like, the actual cut's not that bad. It's just the fact that it's made out of, like, 16 different fabrics of exactly opposing colors. It's weird. All right, back to this. Um, The Doctor's able to magically taste that they're in Gelder. I don't know where this is. I didn't do any research on the lesser-known wars that they show up in in this story. But if listeners want to learn, I suppose they could listen to Hidden Human History, the podcast within a Doctor Who book that all of her friends listen to, is going to be like a plot point of just, there's this podcast that they all listen to that covers obscure history moments, and... They keep showing up in them in this story. Yeah, like they specifically keep going places that there have been episodes about... And the doctor's just kind of like, okay. This is weird. Why are you listening to podcasts when you could be checking out all the cool alien shit I have in my police box? Yeah, basically. <laughs> but having established that they know about this random war that we that I just, I've never heard of before, I've never seen in any other context other than this one story, from this podcast, the doctor's like, well, let's go and see it for real, because the doctor is just insane. And they all go into town. There's a woman who, like, bumps into the Doctor and then runs away, who they run after and catch up with. Yeah, just, like, hair up. Um, Just imagine a generic European villager character, and you've got it. Yeah, um, this is a generic English village. You've got the Tudor-style buildings. It's the, I think they said 1500s. 
the Gelder Wars. Google it if you're interested in the details. We don't. It's not actually relevant that they're there aside from the podcast thing, which is, I think, the one weird note here. We don't, like, meet anyone who was involved in these wars or, like, learn much more about them aside from this is a war that happened. It's all very, like, we're running around the peripheral of history and maybe we'll meet some villagers, but we're not actually going to be going to, like, any sort of battlefield or anything like that. Yeah. Speaking of time travel comics and dealing with real-world events, I need to make you read Devil Man. Okay. There's too much to get into. I need to make you read Devil Man. You'll lose your shit. But anyway, back to this. Uh, they catch up with this random European peasant. Her name is Magda. Are we sure this is in Britain? Anyway. Um, the Doctor, you know, introduces them all, and they find out that Magda is running because the soldiers of the Habsburgs are heading that direction, but it's not men who fight, it's demons. All of the, the, the Habsburg men are demons. They are immediately like, oh, well, that's probably aliens, and the Doctor's like, oh, yeah, no, I, I'm very good, I'm, I'm good at dealing with that. She has, so, um, Doctor Who accoutrement that actually you wouldn't have encountered in the old comics, because they hadn't come up with it back then. The Doctor has a piece of paper that's called the Psychic Paper that whenever they show it to someone, normally what it does is it makes that person see that the Doctor's got, like, an official seal or an ID or something like that. The Doctor doesn't actually know what's going to be on the paper. It just, it's the thing the Doctor pulls out because when they show it to people, it reflects, like, whatever that person's expecting to see. Like, uh changing authority thing to fit whatever would make that person go along with what's needed basically yeah, yeah. It, it is it is the plot device piece of paper it's a great way of getting your doctor who stories down from two hours to 45 minutes basically the magical time shifting cop badge yeah yeah but fake cop because the doctor's not a cop just her girlfriend just her, just girlfriend. her wannabe girlfriend <laughs> Um, anyway, this one's funny because, uh, since Magda is a European peasant in the 1500s, she can't actually read it. I swear to God. <laughs> so, presumably Magda is actually getting reflected back on her a fake, like, symbol of what she would expect an official seal to look like, but she wouldn't be able to read an official seal anyway. They, like, make up some committee name, I think, like, something about nobility or something nobility at some point. Nobility Accountability Committee, huh. Yeah, just the most generic thing, and she's just kind of like, huh, okay. And at this point, they're basically going to go into a whole thing, Magda and the Doctor, about, like, bravery and what counts as bravery and just doing your best, and Magda's very inspired— but the thing is, it works too well, because she's like, well, I want to come with you. And the doctor's just like, oh no, there's killer aliens afoot. Stop being brave right now. The doctor says, if there's anyone in this universe who's an expert on running Magda, it'd be me. I've run away from things I've never dreamed of, towards things from your worst nightmares. And we get, this is, if as someone who's watched the show, it's very funny. We have a little splash of the doctor explaining, like, a little bit like, oh, I have a lot of history of monsters. And we see... Two monsters from the 13th Doctor's first season, but reflected behind her as, like, these are things the Doctor's faced in the past. Um, and one of them is is the Morrigan from um, the Witchfinders, which that's a fair choice for this one. And then the other is the Kablam Man, 
who is the mascot of Space Amazon, Kablam. And has a creepy, dead-eyed smile, looks like permanently plastered on his face with glowy eyes. The thing is, in, in that story, and I say this with a great deal of hatred, Space Amazon isn't evil, which is dumb, because it's a story about Space Amazon being bad. Wait, did you say isn't evil is not, not evil but it's amazon <laughs> yes yes why the fuck would you do an amazon joke if it's not gonna be evil it's space amazon it's even like directly related to ryan's experience as a warehouse worker in the present day when they get jobs there and the whole thing seems to be about workers rights but it's actually um this one guy's like a terrorist for workers rights who is the one who's been getting people killed it's not, it's not the system, it's people using the system in bad ways. Actual, basically actual quote of the 13th Doctor. Look, Doctor Who got weirdly centrist for like a season or two, and I hate it, but it's over now, it's done. We have one centrist episode left, and we're back onto the good stuff. <laughs> I, I can't even, I have nothing to say. <laughs> this is, it's unusual. The previous season, Doctor Who had a story about like some miners who were being hunted down by their robot, like, spacesuits and they thought the robot spacesuits were trying to kill them due to a malfunction but it was actually because the company had decided that it wasn't profitable to have that mine anymore and also it would be more profitable to just pay off the families rather than actually um transport the people away from said mine so they were just getting them all killed on purpose but Space Amazon is not evil in this story. Space Amazon isn't evil, but the Doctor did in the previous state, previous season state that actively killing your workers for profit is the end point of capitalism. And explicitly sent these people out once he had saved them to help lead the human race into a post-capitalist state. I'm frankly too tired this morning to start getting into, <laughs> into real economic discussions or jokes honestly <laughs> i my brain isn't woken up enough to start processing liberal doctor who versus communist doctor who i'm sorry i'm not prepared i i it's 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 fine it's fine um point is the the tv show for 13th doctor frequently does not live up to how it what it should be and yet gets hated on more than any previous season of doctor who because they cast a woman, which is by far the most radical thing about this era of Doctor Who is sometimes they cast people who are not white or not men. And if we call that radical, it sounds like just about the only radical thing about it from what I'm hearing. <laughs> it is, it is. Doctor Who used to be a lot more blatant about this and they're about to be again, luckily, because we've got a new showrunner coming who is, well... He's also an old showrunner. It's fine. We're just going to move forward with this. I would certainly hope it gets more radical than not evil space Amazon. Anywho, back to Magda and the Doctor. Um, so they, she has Yaz take Magda, like, to safety. And the 13th Doctor pulls out her sonic screwdriver, which I don't think you encountered last time either, thinking about it because the Doctor didn't have that in the 80s, but it is a little handheld device that does whatever the plot requires it to do at any given moment. It looks, at least in this art, like it has 
like either a glowy crystal or something on the end of it it's which a glowy can crystal on this one yeah which can just make noises and go boop boop when there's time for magic to be afoot yeah yeah it, at times in the show it is literally alluded to just being a magic wand like if the doctor's in the past or something they'll just like oh it's my magic wand to not have to deal with explaining it to people who like wouldn't understand oh no this is a incredibly sophisticated scientific instrument that i have both designed and yet somehow other people of my same race and other alien races know about and in plot functionality is indistinguishable from a magic wand it, it doesn't work on wood and it doesn't unlock deadlock seals and then sometimes it will take a while to get to the right setting because you need some tension in a moment okay it it works via narrative so yeah, the Doctor uses the sonic screwdriver to figure out that there's something bad happening, which the demons would do it, but the Doctor now knows, like, the direction to go in. And Magda comes back with Yaz, because I guess Yaz did a very bad job of getting Magda out of there. And the Doctor, they find a barn, I think is what it is, or it's like a house or something. It doesn't really look very 1500s, but I don't know architecture. And she goes in there on by herself. In which she finds the, the 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 monster of the story, who it's a bunch of aliens who are. Um, oh, tell you what, have you seen Peter Jackson's King Kong movie? No. First of all, you would love it. There's a full twenty minute excursion of that movie where they're fighting giant bug monsters. That part sounds good. I was gonna say my love of giant monsters with that franchise is at odds with the fact that i really don't like monkeys or apes uh, those are the category of animal i don't like there's a lot of dinosaur fights that are cool and there's a lot of big bugs you'd like the skull island stuff okay anyway there's some giant leeches in that with a whole bunch of teeth inside their mouths and these guys kind of look like that but then with arms and legs and like a a, a shell that the leech head is coming out of yeah these are what qualifies the story for spooktober for context i picked this because the 13th doctor is leaving this october at they haven't announced what date the episode is airing yet so this is me actively criticizing this era multiple times as my homage to this era being over lord the comic's um. good yeah, the comic is solid, um, and, like, these are monsters, like, I think if you're gonna try and make something creepy and threatening, a leech is never a bad starting point for reference. That's just about one of the worst fucking things in the world imaginable. Lots of mouth, no eyes, always a good starting point. Yeah, like, the lack of eyes, like, the fact that, you know, like, the leech part is essentially the entirety of what would be the head on this, you know, otherwise sort of hominid-shaped creature. You know, like, lack of eyes is always the number one thing to go with, like a fucking xenomorph or something, and... Xenomorph is the epitome of lots of mouth, no eyes. They have two mouths and no eyes. Yeah. Yeah, these are sort of, design-wise mixing actual creepy elements and then just sort of campy monster because if you took away like the leech head you know they're just sort of 
purple things, you know, it's really the leech aspect that adds in the little bit of threatening to it. See, the campy monster's very Doctor Who, so I appreciate the aspect of, you probably could do this design of, like, a person in a suit with, like, a head that's on a stick. Yeah, and I don't mean campy monster as a pejorative, just to be clear. Yeah. Like, I don't mean it as a bad thing. Like, the best Doctor Who monster design is one where you think, could you have designed this in the 70s if you had $10 and a lot of papier-mâché? Yeah, you could wear this suit. Like, you know, they made Godzilla suits. You can make a suit of this. Yeah. It would mostly, the main, like, engineering thing would just be having fun making the long, weird, sloping neck. But, yeah, weird dude in a suit could do this. Yeah. Knew who would do that same thing, but then they'd have animatronics in the neck so it could actually move around. But yeah, she comes across these. There's a group of about five or so, so we've established that this isn't like a soul monster. This is... A species. Yeah, I was about to be like, maybe invasion is too strong of a word, but it's definitely like a group threat. Um, so she tells... Magda to run away, and Magda, having seen these things, finally fucking leaves. Yeah, Magda's... Now gone. Yeah, she's on page a lot for a character that doesn't matter. You know, I'm kind of like, could we have done something else that wouldn't have required introducing a character for nothing? Because it's that awkward medium bit, you know, of... She's not just someone on the street who's like, oh, go check that way. And then the character's done. It's like, we have a lot of time with this character who ultimately doesn't matter, which in turn takes away from spending time with the companions who already free is a lot to have at one time. My max is two at any given time. You should only have two and preferably from different times and places. This is three people from the same time and place which is one of my main problems with this era of Doctor Who. The main problem being that none of them are a penguin. Also, yes, they should have introduced the penguin. One of them should be Frobisher at all times. The good news is, coming up, we are going to have characters from the comics show up in the show for the first time ever. Beep the Meep is coming, everyone. Beep Meep, Meep Beep. What's he actually sound like? Beep Beep. He goes, Meep Meep. And then he shoots everyone because he's a psychopath. Meep meep. <laughs> meep meep. He does appear in some audios. I will see if I can find the file, and we will have a, a, a we will upload Beep the Meep's voice to the end of this episode. Can you please? I would like to add that to my soundboard. <laughs> Absolutely. I yeah. We need more soundboard besides just the '60s Spider-Man cartoon. <laughs> we'll, we'll do Beep the Meep saying Meep Meep every time we say Doctor Who. Okay. <laughs> These monsters, by the way, are called Stillian Flesh Eaters. They don't actually eat flesh. They like to drink blood. And the Doctor is pausing to explain this to the companions while one just comes up and bites her on the arm. So my impression is like, so they're vampiric, but not inherently deadly. Like, they draw blood from their victims, but they could potentially choose... You know, just, like, how much they're gonna do, like, one bite isn't gonna instantly, like, poison and kill someone. It's just a matter of, like, severity of blood loss. Do I have that right? Yeah. And, you know, they're leeches, so it's just drink some blood. Ugh. 
leeches literally are the worst thing on the face of the earth. Ugh. Ugh, God, and then this panel, their little leech mouths are open. Ugh. This is great. This is this is the most horrifying I think this gets, aside from some stuff towards the end, which is, I don't think meant to be horrifying, but I think is also, like, a really creepy look. But this page is a very good horror page. The Doctor manages to, like, get away from the leech, because it pulls back, and they go, So delicious. So different. This life. It bubbles. For context, I mean, the Doctor's an alien. I was gonna say the species name, but actually I guess that's not accurate anymore, so yeah, the Doctor's an alien and is special. I mean, we've talked about how there's been, like, 13 this is the 13th Doctor it's because the Doctor can, like, magically change their face with space stuff whenever they die. Yeah, it's like, not literal immortality but close enough in the sense that these aliens are affected by what they eat and feed on, and a plot point is going to be, you know, and one of them becoming more like the Doctor after biting her is going to essentially think that it's become immortal because it's going to outlive its progeny and just be thinking, what the fuck was that woman I took a bite out of? Yeah, pretty much. So they leave the barn, and I guess they're not going after them. Oh. They don't like sunlight. So luckily, the sun's out. So they, they just walk out of the building and they're fine again. Um, the doctor's disappointed because the coat got, their coat got ripped. I suppose that has a brief question I should bring. What does the doctor do and say in terms of gender? Like... It matches the actor. Okay. I guess just... I will frequently wind up using they because when I'm talking about the Doctor as, like, an entity, I now say they. But 13 really should just be she, her. Okay, I just wasn't sure. Yeah, like, I've gotten very much into the habit of using they for the Doctor because normally when I talk about the Doctor, I'm like, the Doctor. All the different faces. In terms of... Like, that makes sense in terms of just, like... In terms of the singular being encompassing all their forms... But yeah, yeah that makes sense. That's, like, the solution everyone sort of come up with. I don't think there's anything, like, officially in the show or anything, because the Doctor turned into a woman and met exactly one person that she'd met before, and that person was like, oh, okay. That was basically their quick acknowledgement was just like, yep, we did it. Yeah. Moving on. Yeah, it, 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 it comes up in context of, like, sometimes the Doctor encounters sexism that she wasn't expecting to encounter, because she's very used to dealing with things as a white man and not a white woman. There's a whole episode about that. It's actually one of the best ones that they've done with 13. That's the Witchfinders. So go watch that one if you're going to watch like an episode from this era. I'd highly recommend it, actually. But um, yeah, so the monsters don't like sunlight, so they're not coming out. So they are just gonna leave the aliens here. So Ryan is like, oh, well, now we take them out, right? And the Doctor basically explains that dangerous and evil are different things and these guys are dangerous but they're not evil they're just hungry see now here's the thing i appreciate that sentiment and it's going to be the thematic core of this story i'm not sure it justifies literally just leaving the timeline and doing nothing about the fact that we know these things are attacking people and we're gonna just keep letting that happen unless i suppose I guess the question becomes, how much does Doctor Who do the whole, 
we can't act or paradoxes, but also if the entire series is time traveling, you can't really do that because the characters have to do something. So I'm like, what kind of balance are we trying to strike here? And what sort of morality? Because it's true that these things aren't evil, but you could say that it's evil to just leave a fucking town of villagers to get obliterated when you, I don't know, could try and get these creatures to do something else, could at least take them to a place where they will be able to feed on non-sentient life forms, perhaps? So, typically in the show, whenever there's alien stuff, you can change that. And whenever it's human history that we would ex- Like, the Doctor can't go back in time and kill Hitler without creating a paradox. Probably. But also... The rules are incredibly inconsistent. <laughs> there I, you go. I guess that's what I would expect on a metal level, as just a work of fiction and navigating what they need to navigate. It is It is enough that the Doctor is not morally culpable for historical tragedies. Unlike gay people dropping the atom bomb. Yes, this is not an eternal situation. <laughs> If we ever do special episodes on, like, other things, can we watch Eternals? Yes. I still have not watched Eternals, and I want to know exactly all the details of gay people being blamed for the atom bomb. It's just the one gay Eternals crying about it. In, like, I think it was Hiroshima's, like, ruins. Anywho, I keep sidetracking you. He, he helped humans design it, and then they bombed... Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and then he flew to Japan so he could cry about it there. Representation. There you go. Anyway. Gay war criminals now have representation in Marvel movies. That's important. Anywho. They run away because they get chased by the, um, Stelian flesh eaters. The design's very fun. Yeah, it's like, I mentioned earlier, sort of like a hominid design you know like the structure and proportion of limbs and stuff but they largely like run on all fours yeah yeah they have hands but they're using them as feet the tardis team gets surrounded and the doctor manages to stop them from going after so yeah the doctor starts bluffing and then by pure luck and coincidence uh magda has gone and warned everyone about the aliens so that the townspeople are gonna get together and try to kill them so now the aliens have to go into hiding and just feed on carrion instead of going after, like, living people. I guess. Frankly, physicality-wise, I think as long as they knew where to have a safe base, I don't really think they would need to go hiding all that much. Like, these things could still take down people. They just need to do it when the people aren't holding torches. Like, I'm not convinced this threat has been solved, but here we are. <laughs> Granted, I suppose, I suppose thematically it's beginning the whole, the doctor did not harm us and therefore that's going to affect, you know, what the aliens think and how they act in terms of, I guess, just like the olive branch of nonviolence. Yeah, this initial encounter, the way it's solved, I don't like. I like the rest of it, most of the rest of the comic. I'm, I'm generally like, I don't know, I feel like this is not an effective solution to the existence of leech monsters that want to eat flesh. Um, but they all, like, have dinner with Magda to say goodbye, and then they head on their way in the TARDIS to another time 
the the TARDIS leaving Bivory is watched by one of the leech monsters, presumably the one that got to eat the Doctor. So they arrive at a new place, and the Doctor figures out where they are by um, touching the dirt, and by touching the dirt she knows it's North Carolina in 1717? 1711? Lettering. 1711! And they have another moment of the companions being like, oh, this is that historical event that I heard about on that podcast. That's Carrie's Rebellion. And they, 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 there's a great panel, actually, of all the companions sort of looking at each other like, wait, really? <laughs> Another thing from the podcast? And the Doctor, meanwhile, is like, why does this podcast keep coming up? The universe doesn't tend to do coincidences when I'm around. That's very true. Every time the Doctor meets someone more than once and it's not on purpose, um, it usually results in the universe nearly ending. It's nice self-awareness, at least. She also makes sure everyone knows that the TARDIS is definitely not listening to the podcast because she and the TARDIS always listen to podcasts together, which is cute. The Doctor and the TARDIS are basically married, so. The sentient box. There's a whole episode where she winds up in an actual body and gets to talk with the Doctor. Is she, she a sexy name... robot lady? No, no, she's she's in a human body. She does, however, think her name is sexy because the doctor calls her sexy. Oh. Like in in like the doctor calls the box sexy sometimes. Thirteen, the uh, eleven was weird. So she's like she introduces herself at one point. It's like, hi, I'm sexy, and it's like, no, that's not your name. <laughs> I feel like there are rabbit holes upon rabbit holes on archive of our own with regards to this specific ship tag. Yes. Yes, there definitely are. I, I, I avoid them, but I am sure they exist. So there's some brief discussion about the completely irrelevant actual war that's happening here because it doesn't have anything to do with the plot. Um, but the Doctor's curious enough about the podcast to immediately ask her name is... The, uh, so they, the podcast is like hosted by a woman and the Doctor asked, her name isn't Smith, is it? Because things could be getting messy. Um, the Doctor generally goes by John Smith or, um, I don't know what 13 uses instead of the John. I would assume Jane. Jane? Probably Jane. But the Doctor's, like, first go-to for a pseudonym is always J. Smith. Uh, this person's actual name is Bethany Brunwine, uh, a name the Doctor doesn't recognize. So, luckily, it, it probably isn't the Doctor hosting the podcast, which is good. We will eventually get into multi-Doctor comics, but we're not there yet. Yeah. With regards to the events of this era and everything, it largely feels like the amount of time jumps they go through isn't because any of the historical events matter, but that the idea of this history podcast matters, and just to establish more time going forward for the aliens to have, like, morphed and changed to become more human over time through, like, feeding on humans. Yeah, because you are what you eat, so the more human they eat, the more human you become. And biologically, I know that makes no sense, but that's... They're aliens, it's fine. Yeah. Um, so, basically, the companions work out that because... Uh, so, yellow fever, there's an epidemic of late yellow fever that happened around North Carolina in 1711, apparently. And the companions work out that it probably isn't yellow fever because there's also a war happening at the same time. It's probably the same aliens they, like, just encountered. And the Doctor is impressed that the three of them figured this out just by talking to each other. She's like, yeah, that's that's probably it. That's why we're turning up here. 
the doctor's like, nothing's ever a coincidence. We usually just keep bopping along wherever we need to go. Good job noticing. Um, the TARDIS is notoriously unreliable, and in that one story where um, she's in a body, the doctor complains that she never took him where he wanted to go. And she's like, oh no, but I always took you where you needed to go. And like the implication is the TARDIS just takes the doctor to wherever a Doctor Who plot is happening. So the Doctor can do the Doctor Who plot. So there's a meta-analysis to be done about the fucking police box representing all of the creative teams. Yes. Well, that episode was written by Neil Gaiman, too, so... For fuck's sake. <laughs> but, yeah, she ends up pulling out her magic wand again to use the orange glowy light to find their way back to the aliens or trace of the aliens... And essentially get confirmation when they find a sick woman suffering from blood loss. Yep. And with she's... wounds on her arms from gross leech mouths. Yeah, slightly more human-shaped gross leech mouths. Um, at which point... So I didn't have you read the previous arc, but these are some characters from the previous arc who are time travelers who show up. They are working for what is called the Time Agency... This is just part of the, like, little 13th Doctor comics ongoing arc for, like, the first three sort of main stories that they did. Um, and they show up. The Time Agency is one of an infinite number of Doctor Who things that are where the group that stops people from messing with the timeline. There you go. These two characters are largely unimportant. This is just, like, it mostly there to establish their, like, what's going on with them heading into the third arc where they become important again properly. Okay. After the end of, like, their story in the first arc, I would say. Yeah, reading just the story arc on its own, the characters feel, like, totally unnecessary. So I guess it makes sense that that's just a matter of, like, serialization and just, like, we're checking in on them because they're a part of the ongoing narrative. But frankly, with regards to this story... They don't feel like they had to be there for anything other than checking in and just like padding out the page count. This is this is necessary for their story, but not this story. Yes. Yeah. And basically the whole dynamic is just kind of the doctor being like, you've gotten more cop-like since I saw you. Let's not do that as much. Yeah. Yeah. Because they, they started working for the time agency and for them it's been a decade. And for the doctor and her companions it's been about 20 minutes. Like, that was the adventure they went on before they started this adventure, so I guess maybe... I don't know. I don't know if they slept, but it was, like, this week at the longest. Yeah. It was two hours ago. <laughs> but, um, basically, they start trying to take charge, and the Doctor's like, Nope, you're staying here and taking care of this woman while me and my companions go out. Because, so far as she's concerned, they're too copy, unlike the actual cop she has traveling with her. That cop's gay and they're lesbians together, it's fine. <laughs> but, yeah, like, the general sense, as far as I can get, is that just, like, the friends turned to cops are in cop fashion to trigger happy, literally and metaphorically, in terms of just, like, she's, she being the 13th Doctor is trying to resolve things without just killing the aliens, and part of doing that is trying to shuffle the cops away at every opportunity. Does that sound about right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's a very common, like, Doctor Who can dynamic with, like, a secondary sort of... Like, whenever there's another time traveler, they're always either 
an evil time traveler or a time traveler who is too strict with the rules in a way that is going to hurt people so the doctor has to stop them anyway yeah contributing to that just whole sort of the doctor is the one who's doing the real shit but also has to skirt around everybody else getting in the way the doctor's very um anti-authoritarian and gets mad whenever anyone is like "Hmm, what about the rules though is the doctor canonically libertarian no what does the doctor think of age of consent laws the doctor keeps dating 19 year olds so um (laughs) (laughs) the two main romantic plots in doctor who both involve a character who is 19 when they're introduced how does the doctor feel about ron paul very bad i can say that much (laughs) the doctor's political views very wildly depending on who is writing the doctor but definitely lean very left except for space amazon except for space amazon which is absolutely okay and also weirdly the queen i'm not even gonna ask the doctor is watching that fucking funeral right now and crying her ass off listeners we're literally recording this the day of the funeral while a bunch of frankly freaks are watching that if the, you're watching that right now you're a fucking freak what is wrong with you the queen was a, is what well, the queen was a doctor who fan i nearly said the queen is a doctor who fan it is weird that she's dead it is weird in terms of a just goddamn that bitch lived forever but that's what happens when you can afford all the medicine money can buy her favorite doctor is christopher eccleston if i remember correctly which is extremely funny because the queen is christopher eccleston's least favorite person Rich people be doing shit like that. <laughs> Rich people's every life and every motion and opinion is the equivalent of that Arthur meme of DW looking at the sign and being like, that won't stop me, I can't read. I don't know Arthur well enough to get that, but okay. Yeah, it's, that's the joke, is just someone being like, you can't put up a sign to stop me, I can't read. What now? <laughs> Customers at the store be like. Um, where are for Oh yeah. Okay, so the Doctor's been doing more sonicking with the sonic screwdriver, and in a, in a funny bit, she holds it up to Graham and is like, do you see that? And he says, yes, I, I see the sonic, I don't know what any of it means. Which, like, yeah, the, the Doctor can seize readouts from the sonic screwdriver somehow. It is just a stick with a light on it. There's never any display on it. I think that's funny. Anyway, uh, it's been reading the Doctor... So they're immediately like, oh, is this a time paradox? Have you been here before? I'll be coming back here later. Ryan says, I've seen Time Cop. This is bad, right? But it's not actually reading the Doctor. It's reading part of her. And that's because the Stillian flesh eater who ate her is still around and is now here. They crossed the Atlantic to eat flesh at this little minor war no one knows about. I'm kind of like, is... Is her blood permanently imbued in her now, I guess, as part of just, like, the whole you-are-what-you-eat thing, as opposed to, like, the literal blood just being digested and gone, I guess? It's just, like, genetically rewriting the creature, I suppose, in canon. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Time Lord genetics are weird. The Doctor isn't a Time Lord anymore, but I guess Time Lord genetics are based on the Doctor, so we can extrapolate from that that the Doctor's genetics are also weird. And so, yeah, no frequently stuff like that'll happen where someone is just, like, gets a bit of Doctor inside them, and it normally causes some havoc. We really just need to have you watch the show. 
yeah, yeah. I still have not watched a single episode. I I can send you a list of the good ones. I suppose I'd be interested in that, but also the ones that are most entertainingly bad. Oh, no, no. I'd largely be interested in seeing which aliens I think are coolest or weirdest looking. But back to the comic again. They just stay running around generic swamps and shit in the past just finding the aliens again yeah they see some figures in the distance and they have to run after them because it's a doctor who thing they catch a glimpse of one and so they used to have leech mouths that didn't have like it was it was the the sort of long tube of the leech and then the mouth inside like the tube the mouth bit has been replaced with a face I'm trying to think of how to describe this, because it's like, you know, it's modeled after a human face, but it's not. It's very flat. Yeah, it's very flat, and the parts are spread out, so, like, there's... Picture an emoji. That's probably the best comparison, yeah, because, like, you get, like, the eyes and the mouth, but there's, like, a lot of blank space, like, just, yeah, flatness between all the features, um, there's no, like, definition of, say, like, cheekbones or anything like that that, like, a real human skull would have. It's as if you, like, drew the face onto the flat surface. There's very little definition here. Yeah, it it's very strange looking. She's also pissed at the doctor. It's a mad emoji. It's an angry face. Yeah, yeah, it totally just turns into a mad emoji. And basically, yeah, this is the part where she's questioning the doctor about what I mentioned a while ago of just like, how come I'm still alive and my kids aren't? What happened to me when I bit you? What's going on? And the doctor's just like, you're not immortal. You're special. That's about it. The doctor might be immortal, but I guess she didn't know that at this point. Unclear. I hate how the timeless child stuff just comes up every time we do this. It's just going to be that way forever. I can't because just so many things that are just normally stated about the show. I now have to think about, oh, wait, no, that's not right anymore. Anyway, yeah, no. So she's like, immortality, you and your friends have it. I have it. But my children, they do not. And then all the kids look like her now. So they look significantly more human. Yeah, like, I guess they've all, like, morphed into... Well, if they're descended from her, they've got, like, the doctor's genes passed on. Well, that's, like, part of my question is, like, if they're descended from her, you know, like, how come they're getting, like, the humanoid sort of features of feasting off of humans, and that part's passing on, but the doctor special blood isn't with the lifelong stuff? I guess can just, you know, I guess just hand wave. Alien, weird, science fiction, genetics, things are weird. I guess that's it. That's really all you ever need to say with alien genetics. The monsters are very clearly very hungry, um, but the doctor notes that the lady they found, who they'd been feeding on, was still alive, and that they were no longer killing to feed. And so the doctor starts to ask, "What's changed? Why aren't you doing? Your, why aren't you killing to feed anymore?" When some laser bolts come out and hit them, and so the aliens all run away because they're scared and. It was the time agent friends who are now two cop because they just open fire while the doctor is attempting negotiations. The doctor freezes them with her sonic screwdriver, which is not a thing it normally is able to do. Plot called for it. Yep. Yep. She's able to stop them. 
And she's like, look, they're, they're not evil, they're carnivores. Are you planning on executing everything that eats flesh? At which point the companions point out that they've eaten burgers before. Which, I mean, that's a fair point. I guess it's all... This part's very sort of just like by the numbers for me. The whole like, are you going to get rid of carnivores? And everyone's like, I eat meat, you know? I don't know. I I don't love how many characters are trying to occupy the same amount of page space and it's doing none of them any favors. We really just need a companion and I think it would help a lot. But um, so 13 lies to the time cops and is like, oh, I'm not able to track them again with my tech. Um, and the time cops bring up that they have been trying to figure out how the Doctor is connected to the podcast because they've been listening to this same podcast. And they're like, it's a coincidence. You've shown up in three places that this podcast has talked about. And the Doctor's like, oh, three? What are the other two? And so one is the place where the Doctor was earlier in the story, and the other is the Battle of Ridgeway, a century and a half from where they are now. So the doctor essentially gets them to tell her where she needs to go next because of just them having, you know, their awareness because of time and not being standard and fluid in one way. She's just like, oh, you know something I don't? Where am I going to be? And basically just tricks them into telling her what she needs to do. Time is a big ball of wibbly wobbly, timey wimey stuff. Yeah. And again, the emoji face alien who bit her all those years ago like watches from beside a tree as they disappear and make their way to their last in the past location which i don't even remember where or when it is because again the locations do not matter yep it is a place where there was a fight they show up at a church and lie their way through the funeral yeah i don't i don't well, know what i think of their usage of time here the, the doctor used like has to go and like she scans the body with a sonic screwdriver to get info and basically she's able to analyze that the flesh eaters didn't kill these people they died of natural causes but they were all fed on by the flesh eaters and that the bite marks are much smaller and in fact barely bigger than a human mouth so they're looking more and more human also, they're all in the TARDIS right now, which, like, 13's TARDIS is not a design that I especially like, um, but the interior is, like, all, like, glowing orange crystals, and I think the comic, especially the coloring, does a really nice job with it. Like, we haven't talked that much about the art. I think it's all pretty fun. Again, like, the character um, likenesses are all quite good. Yeah, it's like, the art is functional for me, but... Given how much worse this type of comic can often be, I guess that's maybe even beyond expectation. Because, like, for a comic that is drawing its characters to look like real people... It's it, real hard to do that. Yeah, and this only rarely hits Uncanny Valley. Like, most of the people look fine. You know, there's only a few panels that ever run into the sort of stuff we talked about of Darth Vader... You know, in terms of real character likenesses becoming creepy, like most of these characters, you know, they look fine. They look, I guess there's just something about trying to hyper photo reference and hit, I guess, just rendering real faces into comic style that can be hard. But most of this is fine. Yeah, the characters look fine. I guess the visual clarity 
as strong. Like, there's not really a lot of points where there's any sort of confusion. You know, like, the visual storytelling basics are solid. I feel like this is me damning with faint praise. I'm not even, I'm not trying to diss it. It's like, you know, like, the fundamentals are here. It frankly looks better than I would imagine a lot of tie-in comics to look, but it also, maybe by way of the material, isn't wowing me. But there's also just less opportunity in the story to really wow me. You know, like when we did the 80s stories, there was much more room for like alien architecture and things that really make me go wow versus in this story we're stuck in like European earth is just less interesting. Yeah, and um, more characters to fit on panel at the same time too because you have to have all the companions show up. So every panel of the companions is all three of them saying a thing each, and then all three of them doing a reaction shot. Yeah, it's very much like, it's not like ugly bad, it just feels like it could be better if it wasn't constrained by having to do so much of so many people all the time. So the Doctor has decided that although they don't think the Flesh Eaters are going to be a threat because they stopped killing people, and they're becoming more and more human with each generation that's born. She is very confused and disturbed by what's going on with the podcast, because not only do her companions listen to it, but so do the time agents, and all of them, like, showing up three places in a row, the flesh eaters being at all three places, that's weird, a lot of coincidences. So they time travel to 2019, which is when this comic came out, and the doctors track down where the lady who actually hosts the podcast lives. Yeah, and just, I think, I think it's easy to know where this is going. The lady is the alien who had bitten the doctor, and they just have the moment of being like, you changed my life, you didn't kill me, and yeah, I, it's like a reunion thing that's meant to be like, Everything turned out okay, largely because the doctor, you know, chose the path of not killing, you know, when all the cops kept going blam blam, and... The lady looks great, because the eyes still don't have any definition, but she's got hair now, so she looks sort of like a badly done clay model of a person with two little black stones for eyes. Yeah, like, she's gotten a little more human in her presentation and everything, Either she's evolved a bit more human-like, or she's at least learned, like, I need to wear a wig if I'm gonna fit in. <laughs> I, I want to know, is that hair, is that a wig? I'm definitely curious. I'm gonna assume it's a wig, because I think it's more fun if it's a wig, and if this creature has had to learn the intricacies of human clothing and other details of just looking more human. <laughs> she is, I guess, not murderously angry at the Doctor for accidentally making her outlive countless generations of her own children, which, like... I don't know, I would be pissed, but okay. I guess mellowing out in old age and in just the weird mental stasis of, like, old age without definite known limits. Because, yeah, this character's just... Frankly, this character is more interesting than any of the companions are at this point. Because it's just like, here is this alien being who has had their longevity... Their appearance, everything about themselves, including their body. And their mind. Yeah, fundamentally changed, and they have no baseline to judge off of to know what their life is going to be like. 
because even the other mutated aliens don't have the same quasi-immortality. So she truly, she has nothing to go off of in terms of her own life. And now she's a little old lady who hosts a podcast, which, like, even little old lady who hosts a podcast is more interesting than some of these companions. They just don't do anything. They don't get to have, I don't know, maybe if I watch the show, I would pick up on little subtle things, but as is, there's just... To clarify, the actors are all fantastic, but I am generally of the opinion that the writing has not been there for most of these characters. So they have made, what they have made of the characters in the show, I would say the actors have made a lot with a little. But this is a comic and the actors aren't in it. Yeah, and these are frankly just interchangeable set pieces. And there's a lot of plot. There's a lot of plot, but again, I don't know. I just think it just feels like some aspects, I don't know, could be tighter. It's like everything serves a role thematically and like, you know, we need to convey the passage of time in order to, you know, show how this lady and the aliens have changed over time and how it's going to affect things. And, you know, she'll be thinking about the doctor and her relationship to her new way of life and like... I guess ideas are here, but the actual journey along the way, I feel like could just be more exciting, maybe largely potentially just if we trimmed some of the excess, you know, of like, again, there's all the companions, there's the time cops, there's Magda, there's all of the other Magda equivalents that they meet at the various time points they travel to. They're all at least less a part of it than Magda is, thankfully. Yeah. Going off of just, like, the opening third, it almost sets the expectation of page time of, like, this could be a main character in this story, because we're really spending a lot of time with Magna. We're gonna see how Magna changes over the centuries. I've sounded very critical throughout this, and I suppose I am, because I do mean everything I've said, but I didn't even necessarily, like, I didn't dislike the story. You know, I would say, like, I liked it, but I didn't love it, I think would be my impression and i think more so than this story in and of itself i guess i liked it as just another little taste of giving me a sense of what i assume doctor who to be like and just its basic setup and how the adventures go and how the world is set up the way i see it these five four five issues four issues were entirely worth it for the bit where the um little old lady stillian flesh eater gives everyone a cup of tea and Graham asks if there's going to be any blood in it, and she looks at him and smiles with her sharp little pointed teeth and says, only if you would like some. And then pours herself a cup of blood tea. <laughs> yeah, hers is red, by the way. <laughs> her red flask. Page. Hers is red. So, there you go. <laughs> this little old lady is hosting a podcast and drinking human blood, probably. <laughs> if she drinks enough animal blood, does she lose her sentience? That seems probably yeah. she probably has to drink human blood if she doesn't want to lose her intellect and grasp on society Ugh. going non-human isn't actually an option if she wants to be sentient so you know there's there's an interesting thing for a story she's more interesting than the companions frankly <laughs> yeah like i appreciate the general sentiment of just like you know things turned out better for everyone because the doctor you know, did not allow the cops to kill this alien and just tried to be 
not murderous for no reason. Oh, and the alien was, like, inspired by the Doctor showing up throughout history to um, do the podcast. So the Doctor's been jealous of a podcast that she directly inspired. It's cute. Little character beat. Yeah, and I feel like that basically wraps it up. Like, they all talk for a bit, and then they just go their separate ways. I guess, do you have anything else to add on here? Oh, they have, like, a last little bit, too, to just, like, reiterate, like, the TARDIS being a podcast fan, because you have to put that little button on it. Yeah, the TARDIS has lined the podcast up for future listening. I wonder which podcasting app the TARDIS has installed on it. For some godforsaken reason, Stitcher. It's whichever one signs a promo deal with the BBC. Yeah, yeah, actually it would be, wouldn't it? Yeah. Preferably for humor's sake, not one of the major ones, but one of the ones that you're like, huh, I guess that exists. Um, yeah, so that's that's Doctor Who again. Uh, I have been mean about the 13th Doctor's era this entire time, but actually I think it's a bit of a shame that Jodie Whittaker is leaving the role without getting um, a, a, a more focused season. Yeah, if the show is anything like, I guess like, like this comic and... You know, if from what you tell me of it, my impression is just that it's not horrible so much as it's just held back by being so many things at once. Just not being polished is what it sounds like. Yeah, but um, no, I think the comic's pretty good. And yeah, this this episode may or may not be timely. Who knows when in October Jodie Whittaker's final story is airing. It could be any time. Or possibly not in October. They haven't actually confirmed that, but I have been assuming. Yeah. Is that like franchise anniversary month? Uh, it is BBC anniversary month. Okay. The BBC is turning 100. So we're getting the BBC's 100th anniversary Doctor Who special. But it's the 100th anniversary for the BBC, not Doctor Who. And then next year, Doctor Who is doing at least one special for its 60th anniversary. Okay. Yeah. What are we reading next week? Uh, so next week, as part of Spooktober, we are going to be reading an image series. I think this is our first time covering an image comic on the podcast. We are discussing Ray Fox's Underwinter, specifically the original six-issue miniseries. Um, the story title and the title you'll see on the trade is Underwinter Symphony, and... Yeah, um, you still haven't read it, right? No, no, I haven't had the chance yet. I don't want to tease anything specific because I don't want to spoil anything. Painted artwork. Yes, the artwork is very pretty. It's like really good watercolors. Came out probably about five years ago now or so, I would say. And it's one of those comics that I just think about periodically ever since I read it because it's great. And... I suppose the one tease, without saying anything specific, is that the last page of issue one is probably my favorite final page of a comic floppy ever. It, okay. it really gets you. It, it shook me. It's a lot. And the series as a whole is great, and I've literally enjoyed more every time I've read it. So, yeah, um... I know, like, image stuff can be a bit harder to find than Marvel or DC sometimes because there's no image unlimited. But I can confirm, at least, that Underwinter is on Hoopla. So if you have a library card, 
hopefully you can get that. And if you don't have one, hopefully you can get one to then go get that and read it for free. Yeah, that's what I would do. Um, I guess you could... It, it might be on Comixology Unlimited. I think a lot of Image stuff is, but... The downside to that is both Amazon and Comixology getting imploded by Amazon. I have been scared to open that app since that happened. And I simply choose not to. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, for next week, read Underwinter, and you'll find out what I'm talking about with that last page. Don't flip through. Do not flip through it before you read it. Just take it all in. See you all then. Bye. Bye. You should not have revealed yourself, Doctor. My greatest pleasure comes from inflicting pain, and I am very pleased to see you. Meet me!